Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Today we have a crazy story of revenge against a math teacher. We'll get into that in a bit, but first, how I got my revenge against my middle school crush. Middle school, the place where lockers held secrets, awkwardness was practically a currency, and emotions felt like roller coasters on a wild ride. That's where it all began, my story of crushing on Max. Now, don't picture some dramatic movie scene with slow motion hair flips and romantic music. It was more like a slow motion facepalm on my part. Max walked into the classroom, all new kid vibes and a hint of uncertainty. His smile, I swear, could have melted glaciers. Okay, maybe not glaciers, but at least my heart. He introduced himself to the class, and that's when I fell into that bottomless pit till it all blew up in my face. It wasn't like I suddenly turned into a stammering mess every time Max looked my way. Nope, I was the picture of casual composure. At least that's what I told myself while my heart raced like it was training for a marathon. Our interactions were like sitcom snippets. Brief, slightly awkward, and leaving you wanting more. I'd catch his eye during group discussions and I'd swear my cheeks would turn into cherry tomatoes. Our small talk was basically the highlight of my day. And when he laughed? Oh boy, his laughter could have powered the school for a day. I might have scribbled Maddie plus Max in my notebook at home a few times. You know, for research purposes. It's a good thing no one can decipher my chicken scratch handwriting or I'd have some explaining to do. As middle school rolled on, so did my crush. It wasn't a big secret, at least not to me. I had my suspicions that Max might have had an inkling, but who knows? Maybe I was just another face in the crowded hallways to him. Regardless, my crush on Max was undeniably strong through middle school, and it continued when we entered high school, because the universe just happened to have a fun time placing us in a similar space. The story of how I got my revenge against Max was not until sophomore year. It is high school, so it just figures that the lockers had an upgrade from those cramped metal boxes to slightly less cramped ones, and we're all trying to figure out how to navigate the maze of corridors without bumping into someone. And as though being in the same high school was not bad enough, it got better. At least at that time, I thought it was the coolest thing to happen to me. Fate decided to throw me and Max together for a school project. Seriously, it was like the universe thought, hey, these two need more quality time. When our teacher announced the pairings, I had to suppress an involuntary excited squeal. Max and me, project buddies. Max, me, a project. My mind started crafting scenarios like I was some rom-com director, but hey, could you blame me? I mean, really, could you? I'd heard stories of what goes down in group projects from the inside of the girls' locker. Not that I've ever been a key character in the discussion or what the topic was about, so this was a good time to get in on the gist. Now that I think about it, I guess I was just like every other high school girl who had a stupid crush and built silly castles in the air hoping that they would actually come to pass. As I sat next to Max during our first project meeting immediately after the pairing was announced, I played it cool. You know, the casual, I'm here to discuss project stuff, but inside I'm doing the happy dance. We threw around ideas, debated like mini lawyers, and honestly it was fun. I couldn't help but notice the way he raked his fingers through his hair when he was thinking. The days went by and with each passing conversation, I started to see a glimpse of who Max was beyond the charismatic smile. 
We laughed at inside jokes that only made sense to us. It was like our own little world amidst the chaos of high school. You know those moments in movies where time seems to slow down and you can practically hear your heartbeat as you inch closer to a pivotal scene? That's how spending time with Max on our project felt, like each minute had its own special spotlight. As we dove into our project, something shifted. It wasn't just about piecing together research or making colorful charts, it was about Max and me piecing together moments and making colorful memories. We'd share glances that lingered a little longer, smiles that felt like inside jokes we only understood. We weren't just partners, we were becoming friends. It's as if the universe had decided to give us a sneak peek into what being a couple of buddies could feel like. We talked about everything, from the project's quirky requirements to our favorite ice cream flavors, but it didn't stop there. The first time Max asked me to hang out with him as he wanted to skip practice, I was taken back a bit. I mean, he wanted us to hang hang, not under the disguise of our shared project. It had to mean something, right? Max and I hung out twice outside the realm of the project, doing things that had nothing to do with pie charts or PowerPoint slides. I still remember the first time, a spontaneous visit to a quirky cafe that was all about mismatched chairs and indie music. It was a forget-the-world kind of afternoon, where laughter came easy and being ourselves was the only rule. I thought this was going to be the only time we would hang out together in this way, especially in the way the night awkwardly ended after what seemed like an unexpected impulsive kiss that lasted a couple of seconds by the side of the road leading to my house. But we quickly recovered from that and he was back the next day to contribute his quota to the project, which was really just talk. I did the work mostly, but I didn't mind. Spending time with him was fun like that. The second time we hung out was better than the first, and it started from our digress into rom-coms and how cheesy they could be. He wanted to know if that kind of stuff appealed to me, and while he was of the opinion that they were usually just overrated, he randomly chipped that we go see one together, instead of the action-packed thriller he thought of going to see later in the year. Asides from the times we hung out, Ever since the first awkward kiss we shared, there was this vibe between us, and we just sort of kicked it off from there. The project discussions became limited and we just talked about us. Of course, we did way more than talk. It was a mix of genuine emotions and, well, maybe a hint of curiosity on my part. So I did what the silly teenager with a long-time crush finally reciprocated would do. I decided to send him a message telling him everything since middle school. With every word, my heart did this dance between hope and anxiety. I wanted to tell Max what he meant to me, to show him that there was more than just project deadlines and casual hangouts. It wasn't a grand declaration, it was more like a, by the way, I've had these feelings for you, hope that's cool, kind of vibe. I sent him the message when we were talking about some other random stuff that spilled over from our physical discussion that evening. Smart, right? That was what I wanted to think. But as it turns out, while I was daydreaming about cozy chats and meaningful glances, it turns out Max had a slightly different agenda in mind. While I was navigating the confusing maze of feelings, he had already figured out my not-so-secret secret, the monumental crush I had on him. But here's the kicker, he wasn't freaked out or distant. No, he decided to roll with it, as if my feelings were just another part of the high school experience. Turns out he had an ulterior motive for being my partner on the project. As he would make it clear to me later on, he wanted an easy ride through the project and he saw me as his golden ticket. 
Yep, you heard that right. Max was aware of my crush and he decided, hey, why not use this to my advantage? It was more like he gets to hang out with a girl he knows has a crush on him. And on top of that, he gets a get out of project free card. It's like winning the lottery of high school partnerships. As I was blushing at his words and imagining a future where we might be more than just partners, he was plotting a different kind of future. We spent time discussing project details, bouncing ideas, and laughing over inside jokes. All the while, Max was getting his project done. And let's not forget, getting his ego stroked by my admiration. It was like a win-win situation for him and I was blissfully unaware. That hurt a lot. It still hurts. All I did was have a crush like every other teenage girl. I still wonder why I had to be dealt with the worst of the worst luck. And the worst part of it was how much of a fool I made myself with the message I sent him. Do you know that feeling when you're about to jump off a cliff, not knowing if you're going to soar or crash? Well, that's exactly what I felt when I handed Max the confession note. Or rather, sent him that confession message. Yeah, we're in the digital age, and apparently even pouring out your feelings is a text away. I'd be lying if I said my heart wasn't beating like a wild drum solo as I typed out that message. It was a mix of bravery and sheer terror. I mean, what if he'd seen right through me all this time? What if he didn't feel the same way and I'd just created the most awkward situation in the history of high school? As I pressed that send button, it felt like I was throwing my heart into the virtual realm, hoping it would somehow reach him and make him understand what I'd been feeling all this while. Seconds turned into minutes and every ping of my phone made my heart skip. His reply finally came and I swear it was like the world held its breath for a moment. But as I read his words, it was like a balloon slowly deflating. Max's response was unexpected to say the least. He dismissed my feelings with a casual compliment, almost as if I told him I liked his new haircut instead of confessing what was in my heart. It wasn't that he was rude or mean, no, that would have been easier to handle. It was the nonchalance that cut through me. The way he brushed aside my confession as if it were a minor detail in our conversation about random things. I had built up this moment in my mind, imagining his response as some kind of revelation that would lead us to finally acknowledging what was between us. Instead, my feelings were met with a kind but ultimately empty response. It was like I'd handed him a treasure chest and he'd taken a peek inside, only to toss it aside as if it were filled with old trinkets. Like I said, it hurt, but I couldn't really bring myself to ask him why he had brushed off what I said, like it meant nothing. But what I didn't know was that that was merely the beginning of how Max would shatter what was left of my heart and the stupid crush I had on him. It started innocently enough. I was scrolling through my social media feed, procrastinating on that daunting math assignment, when a photo caught my eye. There he was, Max, wearing that familiar smile, but the company he was keeping wasn't familiar at all. In the picture, he was engrossed in a conversation with a girl I'd never seen before. The caption read, Late night study sessions with the best partner at New Girl. My heart sank, and not in the fun roller coaster way. New Girl? Late night study sessions? My mind went into overdrive, piecing together a puzzle that I hadn't known existed. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I might have dismissed it as a misunderstanding. Maybe they were working on a different project. But then I remembered those times when Max had been distant, claiming to be swamped with school stuff. Turns out that school stuff had a name and it very much had a face. A pretty face. I decided to go into full detective mode to get background information on this new girl. I felt a wave of emotions. Betrayal, anger, hurt. It was like being on that roller coaster again. Only this time, the ride was rough and unforgiving. I felt used, like a pawn in his game, and it was a feeling I wouldn't wish on anyone. It was as if the foundation I'd built my hopes had crumbled beneath me. What stung the most wasn't just the fact that he'd been secretly rendezvousing with someone else, it was the realization that the connection I'd cherished, the moments I thought were special, might have been nothing more than smoke and mirrors. My mind replayed all those moments we'd shared, those inside jokes, those stolen glances, Had they all been a part of his plan to use me for an easy project while he enjoyed someone else's company on the side? One of those thoughts was a truth and the other was a lie. I decided it was time to confront Max. No more tiptoeing around, no more pretending everything was fine. I cornered him after school, hoping to get some answers for the whirlwind of emotions he'd put me through. My heart pounded like a drum solo as I looked him in the eye and asked the question that had been gnawing at me. What's going on between us? His response? It wasn't just an answer, it was a dismissal. In front of his friends, no less. He laughed it off and basically shunned me aside like I was begging for his company. I walked away, my steps a mixture of emotional and physical humiliation, indignation, and sadness. I'd expected a lot of things, but being dismissed and humiliated in front of his friends? I didn't see that part coming. So I decided to reach out to at new girl, Chloe. By then, the news of Max's silly display had begun to spread over the school, but I decided to let Chloe know that I wasn't trying to take her partner or anything. I didn't want someone that didn't know me to hate me. I unveiled the truth to Chloe. The truth about Max's motives, his double standards, and his manipulative ways in the girl's toilet the next day before our math period. Her reaction mirrored my own sense of disbelief, anger, and hurt. And then, like something out of a movie, I pulled out the evidence. Those messages, those moments that were etched into my memory. Chloe's eyes widened as she saw the truth laid bare before her. It was like connecting dots that had been scattered across our lives, revealing a picture we hadn't known existed. As she read through those conversations, she couldn't deny the timeline. Max had been juggling the both of us, playing us like characters in his own drama. The late night conversations, the study sessions that had become secret rendezvous, all of it lined up with what I'd gone through. It was a shocking realization that sent a jolt through Chloe, a mix of disbelief and indignation. 
She had unknowingly played a role in Max's deceptive game, and the truth had caught up with her. She looked back at those messages, those moments that she had thought were genuine, and saw them in a new light. It was like removing a blindfold and suddenly seeing the world for what it truly was. The feelings of anger, betrayal, and humiliation weren't exclusive to me. I took Chloe on that same ride. When I was able to pick up myself and try to leave Max alone, Chloe was a different person. She decided it was time for a confrontation, and where better to confront someone than in the cafeteria, the very hub of the high school drama. With a confidence that I did not know she had, Chloe marched up to Max as he sat with his group of friends. She didn't mince words, didn't bother with pleasantries. She confronted him, her voice carrying the weight of the truth she held. And then, in a move that stunned the entire cafeteria, Chloe's hand met Max's cheek in a resounding slap. As Max's friends stared in shock, Chloe stood her ground, her eyes burning with a mix of anger and defiance. Max's eyes fluttered to where I was standing by the entrance to the cafeteria, and he understood what must have made Chloe act the way she did. He knew his joke was up, and the truth was in the air already. There was nothing he could do other than bite hard on his teeth to prevent him from doing whatever was cooking in that pretty head of his. The cafeteria buzzed with whispers and shocked glances, but Chloe wasn't phased. It was as though I had exerted my revenge on him for playing with my emotions. Our emotions. And just as quickly as it started, the drama ended. The deafening silence was over and the cafeteria returned to the usual state of disarray. But I knew that the tales of the slap that the mighty Max had received would resonate through the next week. That had to be enough for me. That was enough for me. Although OP wrote this beautifully, in the end, it left me feeling like it was just a very fancy way to write rather normal-sounding high school drama. Some guy just being a total jerk and trying to get it with multiple people. That said, our next story is My Revenge Against My Math Teacher. They say revenge is a dish best served cold, but my journey taught me that revenge isn't just about icy comebacks. It's about showcasing the depths of someone's own folly. Over the years, my desire for revenge transformed from a burning fire of anger into a calculated spark of understanding. I learned that revenge doesn't have to involve violence or vindictiveness. Instead, it can be a masterstroke of wit, a demonstration of someone's own weaknesses through a series of well-thought-out actions. My name is Lily, a student whose life was shaped by a single equation, Mr. Harrison, my math teacher. His classroom wasn't just a place of learning, it was a crucible of frustration and dashed dreams. I wasn't just a student, I was a puzzle he couldn't solve, a thorn in his side he couldn't ignore. Passion ignited within me the moment I dipped my toes into the ocean of equations. Mathematics wasn't just a subject, but my haven and my identity. High school, however, seemed determined to keep me confined in the shadows. Mr. Harrison's classroom, a battleground for my aspirations, was where my enthusiasm was met with indifference. In a sea of faces, I felt invisible. My hand raised, my questions poised, yet my voice unheard. Recognition became my secret desire, a longing to be more than just another student. I held the potential to excel, to prove my prowess in mathematics, but my efforts evaporated before reaching fruition. The world I'd come to adore now seemed unwilling to acknowledge my existence. And so, my journey of revenge began. Not with a desire for violence, but with an unquenchable thirst for understanding injustice. In the beginning, my aspirations were conventional. 
driven by indignation and the burning desire to see him suffer as he'd made me suffer. I envisioned classic forms of retaliation, pranks, confrontations, or even a scathing expose of his own inadequacies. But time taught me that revenge is a complex equation, one that demands careful calculation and unexpected variables. As the days turned into years, my anger evolved into something more nuanced. It wasn't about causing harm anymore, it was about revealing the truth, about unraveling the hypocrisy that had plagued my academic life. It was about showcasing Mr. Harrison's shortcomings in a way that would force him to confront his own biases and egotism. My journey took an unexpected turn when I crossed paths with Dr. Bennett, a retired math professor with an uncanny understanding of life's enigmas. Driven by my story, he became my mentor, guiding me beyond the realm of textbooks and formulas. He showed me a hidden world, a society that believed in using the power of numbers not for destruction, but for justice. A society that understood the art of revenge as an intricate dance of intellect. Under Dr. Bennett's guidance, I delved into ancient mathematical secrets, learning how to wield numbers as a sword of enlightenment. I discovered the beauty in fractals, the symphony of prime numbers, and the magic of Fibonacci sequences. As I honed my skills, I realized that my revenge needn't be overt or aggressive. It could be a symphony of subtlety, a ballet of complexity. And so, I embarked on a mission to reshape my narrative, to challenge Mr. Harrison's perception of me, and to pave the path for his own transformation. This tale isn't just about revenge, it's about growth, redemption, and the incredible potential that lies within the folds of mathematics. I realized that making someone comprehend the extent of their own ignorance without lowering yourself to their level can be a profoundly satisfying experience. It's about crafting elaborate puzzles that challenge their intellect and perspective, making them question their own behavior and beliefs. Then, one day, everything changed. Dr. Bennett walked into the classroom and his presence was unlike any other teacher's. With eyes that held the wisdom of decades spent unraveling mathematical mysteries and a smile that reassured me, he truly saw me. It was as if he'd lifted the veil of invisibility and glimpsed the fervor within. Our connection was instant, like two puzzle pieces fitting perfectly. Dr. Bennett's recognition of my potential, my thirst for knowledge, and my desire to prove myself became the foundation of our alliance. Our conversations transitioned from casual exchanges about theories to a mentorship that reshaped my understanding of mathematics. In his cozy office lined with books, we'd explore geometry, calculus, and the allure of unsolved problems. These discussions were more than lectures. They flowed like a river, unburdened by constraints weaving through mathematical realms. Dr. Bennett's explanations transformed complexity into clarity, like a symphony that resonated with my soul. Our alliance wasn't confined to the classroom. We shared walks across the campus, allowing our discussions to meander naturally, untethered by schedules. Dr. Bennett taught me that mathematics was not merely a subject, it was a universe of exploration, a treasure trove of patterns and ideas waiting to be discovered. Our interactions weren't heavy exchanges, they were the carefree dance of numbers, the whimsical banter of two kindred spirits. Under Dr. Bennett's guidance, I flourished. His mentorship wasn't limited to formulas, it was about nurturing my ability to think, explore, and create. 
Mathematics evolved from solitary work to a bridge connecting me with others, a language capable of conveying profound ideas and solving real-world puzzles. In this pursuit, the weight of revenge wasn't about causing harm. Instead, it was about highlighting the flaws in Mr. Harrison's character, unveiling his own biases and shortcomings. It was about crafting puzzles and challenges that mirrored the complexities of mathematics themselves, subtly nudging him to acknowledge his misjudgments. Dr. Bennett's mentorship had already transformed my perspective on mathematics, but little did I know that he held a secret, one that would lead me down an even more remarkable path. One evening, in the cozy ambiance of his office, he began weaving a tale that was more intriguing than any equation I'd encountered. He spoke of a hidden society, a group of individuals who believed in harnessing the power of numbers to restore justice. Their approach to revenge was unlike anything I'd ever heard. Rather than seeking vengeance through violence or aggression, they used the elegance of mathematics to bring about enlightenment and transformation. Yes, I'm making it sound more elegant than it actually was, but it was worth it actually, and any math geek would easily be drawn into the life of these people. The gang of the society was really just older math geeks that somehow had a way they saw math as something different, as the missing link in the world from discovering the very secret to the universe. But for them, even when people thought they were silly for thinking this way, their revenge against them would be allowing math to do the proving. This sounded like the perfect revenge, the perfect way I would get revenge against my teacher. As he revealed the society's existence, I felt a tingle of excitement coursing through me. It was as if a door had opened, revealing a realm of possibilities that extended beyond the confines of textbooks and classrooms. Dr. Bennett himself, a member of the society, offered to initiate me into its ranks, to teach me the ancient techniques that had been passed down through generations. These were his words, but in all honesty, I would find out that they were the first generation. My guess was that he was trying to make the idea sound extra cool to me, and he did that perfectly. I didn't mind that they were older than I was, or that there was only one other female in the gang. I just wanted something more from them that would enable me to play Mr. Harrison, the card he played me all year. My so-called initiation into the society was a journey into the heart of mathematical mystique. Dr. Bennett introduced me to the society's archives, where ancient scrolls and texts that they'd collected over the years unveiled secrets that went far beyond what I'd learned in school. These weren't just formulas, they were perspectives that were more than what every other person knew. And with each passing day, I delved deeper into this hidden world, learning to see numbers as more than abstract symbols. They were tools that could shape reality itself. The mathematics I'd once seen as a subject became a living, breathing entity, a conduit through which I could express my ideas and influence the world around me. I had a thing for math, and I'd always known that I was good. Yet what I knew before meeting Dr. Bennett seemed so inconsequential when we began to work together. My skills blossomed under Dr. Bennett's guidance, and with newfound knowledge came a surge of confidence. No longer confined by the limitations that Mr. Harrison had imposed on me, I began to envision a series of mathematically themed pranks that would mirror the frustration I'd experienced. The first prank was simple, yet cunning. I created an intricate puzzle that, when solved, spelled out a message of humility for Mr. Harrison. The puzzle required him to confront his own biases and acknowledge the value of each student's unique perspective. 
That day I went to school early and dropped the sheet containing the puzzle on his desk, accompanied by a daunting message that he could never decipher what it was about. Maybe it was his ego or perhaps it was just that condescending way he viewed every other person, but whatever it was, it propelled him to try to decipher what I had hidden in the puzzle. As he struggled to piece together the solution, I watched with a mixture of anticipation and satisfaction. I created a labyrinth riddle that Mr. Harrison couldn't dismiss as mere chance. The puzzle unfolded like a map of interconnected thoughts, each clue leading to another. It was a test not just of mathematical prowess, but of ego and humility. The riddle compelled him to retrace his assumptions and consider alternative paths, mirroring the journey I'd taken in his classroom. After a couple of days, I could physically see the frustration on his face. And knowing the kind of temperament he had, I was sure he would keep it to himself and suffer alone till he could find an answer to it. But that was the point. He could never get it alone. To come up with the pranks, I had to imbibe the use of things I'd learned from Dr. Bennett and within the lines of the ancient texts and scrolls that he and his math friends had. It would have been mentally ending to come up with it all on my own, but he didn't know that and he tried to carry on alone, so I moved on to the next. My second prank took the form of an optical enigma, an intricate illusion created through the manipulation of geometry. I conjured shapes that defied logic, each angle leading to unexpected outcomes. It was a visual metaphor for the complexity of learning, a challenge for Mr. Harrison to see beyond the traditional angles of teaching. As he stared at the illusion, his brows knitted in concentration. Slowly, a look of astonishment replaced his confusion. The impossible geometry was a testament to the transformative nature of perception. By the time he deciphered the illusion, his appreciation for the power of perspective had grown, a lesson in empathy that had transcended numbers. In one scenario, I created a riddle that highlighted the importance of recognizing diverse learning styles. As he grappled with a solution, he began to realize that his one-size-fits-all teaching approach had done a disservice to students like me who thrived on different modes of learning. Mr. Harrison's puzzled expression mirrored the bewilderment I'd felt countless times in his classroom. With each prank, I felt a renewed sense of empowerment. The frustration I'd once internalized was now channeled into these creative expressions of enlightenment. The Mathematical Society and Dr. Bennett's guidance had provided me with tools that extended beyond revenge. They had given me the means to facilitate growth and transformation. One particularly memorable prank involved a series of equations that appeared unsolvable, a direct nod to the frustration I'd endured. By this third prank, he knew someone was messing with him, and at this time, he became more open to seeking answers to the questions from other people. Of course, I didn't know this for certain, but when I realized that he had solved the third puzzle, I knew he had help. He couldn't have done it all alone. With each prank, Mr. Harrison's intellectual limits were stretched. The puzzles require patience, critical thinking, and the willingness to admit when answers weren't readily available. The very qualities he had dismissed in me were the ones I aimed to make him embrace. As he wrestled with my challenges, his perspective shifted and his demeanor grew more contemplative. The subsequent pranks followed suit, each a cascade of mathematical enlightenment. From paradoxical puzzles that challenged conventional thinking to intricate mazes that required collaboration, each prank was a reminder that teaching isn't confined to textbooks. It's a dynamic exchange of ideas and perspectives. 
As Mr. Harrison delved into these challenges, I saw a transformation unfolding. His dismissive attitude gave way to contemplation, his lectures became dialogues, and his approach shifted from dictation to engagement. And there was a change in the way he approached students. I like to think it's because he couldn't figure out who exactly was behind the pranks, so he decided to play it cool with everyone. But somewhere within my mind, I wanted to believe that the pranks had made him see that he couldn't hold all the knowledge alone. That we were all students in one way or another, trying to learn as much as life has to offer. So the cold attitude he gave in class, specifically towards me, stopped. Well, not stopped in the real sense of stop. Let's just say that he became indifferent to me rather than hostile. So I did what many would probably see as dumb. I told him all I had done. The time had come to reveal my role in the elaborate pranks that had reshaped Mr. Harrison's perspective. As the final puzzle's pieces fell into place, I knew that my mission of redemption required an open, honest admission. It wasn't about triumphing over him. It was about the transformation we'd both undergone. With a mixture of nervousness and determination, I found myself standing outside Mr. Harrison's office, my heart racing. The person who had once been a mere teacher now represented something more complex. A figure who had gone through the trials I'd orchestrated. Taking a deep breath, I knocked on the door, and his voice beckoned me to enter. As I walked in, I could feel his gaze on me, curious yet cautious. The air was charged with a mixture of tension and curiosity, and I took a moment to steady myself before speaking. I explained the pranks, the lessons woven within them, and the transformation they had inspired. I confessed that I was behind each one, a student seeking a means of empowerment and understanding. Mr. Harrison's expression wavered between surprise and contemplation. He had often underestimated me, viewing me as a mere challenge to his authority. Now his eyes held a glimmer of respect, an acknowledgement of the courage it took to stand before him and reveal my actions. What followed was unexpected, a shift in Mr. Harrison's demeanor that would reshape our dynamic. Instead of anger or indignation, he listened intently recognizing the layers of intention behind my pranks. It wasn't a tale of revenge, it was a story of growth, a journey that had revealed the possibilities hidden within both of us. His indifference dissolved, replaced by a genuine curiosity about my motivations and the depth of thought that had gone into each prank. I saw a newfound appreciation for the unique challenges I'd presented him with, a recognition of the insights hidden within the mathematical enigmas. The wall that had once separated us crumbled, replaced by a bridge built on honesty and shared experiences. Perhaps the most surprising turn of events was Mr. Harrison's decision to inform the school administration of my actions. What could have been a moment of retribution became an opportunity for collaboration and growth. He recognized the potential of my pranks to spark dialogue about teaching methods, student engagement, and the power of unconventional approaches. In a meeting with the school administration, he recounted the journey we'd both undergone, the challenges, the lessons, and the transformation. The administrators, initially intrigued by the puzzles, were now fascinated by the narrative that had unfolded. Instead of punitive action, they saw an opportunity for both of us to contribute to a deeper understanding of education. Mr. Harrison and I began to collaborate in ways I could never have foreseen. Our discussion transformed from confrontations to shared reflections, our interactions blossoming into a surprising alliance. Together, we designed innovative teaching methods that embraced creativity and critical thinking. 
inviting students to engage with mathematics in ways they hadn't before. His acknowledgement of my intelligence and my willingness to learn from his expertise created a bridge that spanned our differences. For the change in Mr. Harrison's ways, I would forever be grateful to Dr. Bennett, the one-time substitute that saw me and chose that I was good enough to be shown what lay beneath passing math tests and exams to graduate from high school. It's been five years since the encounter I had with Dr. Bennett, and while I appreciated all of his efforts, I realized while standing outside of my quantum physics professor's office that Mr. Harrison was just one of the things wrong with the educational system. This professor was another, and without the kind of help I had from Dr. Bennett, I doubt I would be able to get through to my professor. Can I just say that OP is very articulate, and in the back of my mind, this story is pictured in one of two ways. Either a group of mathematicians who are really into role-playing these ancient texts and things, enough that they have like a basement room somewhere with these like math lessons written on what looks like ancient scrolls, or OP's one step away from literally conjuring mathematical numbers and illusions in front of their face. It's literally one or the other based off of this story, I swear. Our next story is Revenge in My First Love Part 2. For this story, we have something a bit different. In the previous video, I noticed that one of the stories was super short, so I messaged the user on Reddit to see if there was a continuation or part 2, and this is what they sent back. Sorry that I cut that story off. So where were we? At the part where Oliver ghosted me. I didn't think he ghosted me, in fact, I was worried. I thought that something had gone wrong and that he was unable to come to the hospital anymore. There wasn't anything wrong with him or any reasons as to why he shouldn't have come back but I was determined to make a mountain out of a molehill. I stayed back for two days at the hospital because I didn't feel so good, and when I finally went back home with my family, I became depressed. Oliver was the only person I'd met that liked me in a way that didn't feel aggressive and tough and all of those things. I went back to the hospital to loiter and wait to see if I would see Oliver's bicycle, but after two days, I gave up. Then I started preparing to finally go off to college but my parents insisted I went to a little group that focused on helping younger people with terminal illnesses get back into society and live with it. I didn't have cancer anymore, but they suggested going just to learn how to be a social butterfly and blend in with people. Rightfully, I didn't want to go at all because I could do very fine on my own getting back with people, but they insisted and I didn't want to hear anything about being ungrateful, so I just went. You would never guess who I ran into. But before I type that out, I'll tell you how it went. The whole thing wasn't so bad. I basically listened to people talking about how they felt after their diagnosis and how it affected their quality of life. I didn't want to speak, but eventually I had to. But I felt lighter. It worked like it was supposed to. There were all kinds of people there at the group meetings, people of all ages and job types, so it wasn't abnormal to meet people of the same age as me in that place. There was a particular guy, I'll call him Chuck, who I cozied up to and we became friends. I made sure not to get too close, but we still walked in the general direction of our homes before splitting up. At the last meeting before I was supposed to leave for college, Chuck invited me to a party his friends were throwing that was supposed to extend into a weekend camping trip. I was invited and my parents seemed happy to let me out of the house for the weekend. I agreed only because he promised to make sure I wasn't uncomfortable the entire time. He picked me up and we went to the party. It was like a regular high school party with people I didn't know and for about 10 minutes because he had to catch up with his friends. 
When he finally came to get me, he took me to a room that was full of smoke and a few people and when I could finally see, I saw the face of someone I knew, Oliver. I know what this seems like, a fairy tale, but the story is that Oliver was at the hospital with his best bud Chuck and then he saw me and thought I was pretty. After Chuck left, he had no reason to stay at the hospital and left. That should have been the part of his explanation that made me immediately walk out of there, but to me it felt like some kind of truth. He was being honest and gentle to me, intoxicated as he was, and I don't know, maybe the whole moment felt really magical to me in a twisted sort of way and I didn't also have enough social orientation to know that I should have run the other way. Long story short, Oliver apologized and asked me to be his girlfriend. That was the best weekend of my life and I had a ton of firsts with him and his friends. It was great. I went off to college in a good mood and it started out great. Once a month I went back home and spent a weekend with Oliver and Chuck and their other friends. I didn't make too many friends at college either, but I did make one friend and she was my roommate as well. We had a lot of fun together and one weekend. I took her back with me on one of my weekends with Oliver and Chuck and the others. It was the weekend that I realized I was just a prank in the first place, and I found out while really drunk. He and Chuck were talking about all their shenanigans and we were all so drunk so nobody really had a filter. Chuck asked if Oliver could believe he and I were still together, and Oliver laughed and started to narrate how all of it was a prank. Apparently Oliver came to the hospital to see Chuck and Chuck told him that there was a girl who just got admitted in. In their boyishness, Oliver came to speak to me and it went well. Since he didn't have any feelings for me, it was easy for him to leave. Then Chuck met me in the group meeting and told Oliver and they dared him to ask me to be his girlfriend and see if I would agree to it. I was beyond hurt. It was like those high school movies I watched, where silly pranks caused astronomical problems. I simply wanted to go home or back to school because the people around me suddenly started to make me feel uncomfortable, so I told my roommate and we made up an excuse to leave. I sulked for a few days, but it was long enough for my roommate to get mad and decide that Oliver and his friends needed to be taught a lesson. Now, my roomie, I'll call her Chanel, was a kid who had gotten away with a lot. She was an only child with rich parents, so she had money or fame at her disposal. She was unproblematic until she had a reason to be, and she thought I was reason enough. I wasn't on board with anything she chose because all of her plans involved killing someone or getting into prison one nasty way or the other. So I asked if there was a way she could do something where we weren't directly involved. She chose sending people to haunt them. At first, I didn't get it, but the concept was that all the members of the group, as long as they were involved in the plan, would send one person after them to always follow them and creep them out until they did something out of frustration or apologized to me. It was dramatic and I thought it would be funny if anything, but she promised that it would be good. I agreed and our plan was to stay in contact with them so it looked like we didn't know anything about it. Angry and hurt, I went along with the plan and Chanel used her money to pay people to follow them around. It was a little hard pretending to be sympathetic when Oliver would complain about it and then he started having sleepless nights. About three people in his friend group had to leave town and Chuck stopped going anywhere for a few months. Nobody believed Oliver when he talked and so he had a mini psychotic break and had to go to a psychiatric hospital. Around this time, I decided that I couldn't put out an act 
and Chanel had the good mind to make me send a long, nasty paragraph to him, telling him how I really felt. I had the better idea to ghost him, just like he did me. Now, this was around three years ago. I'm out of college now and have better emotional regulation, as well as a healthier relationship with family and friends. But if I had the chance to do it all over again, I really would. Those kids needed to be taught a lesson. Whenever you mess with someone who didn't deserve it, you get screwed over right back. It's the way life is supposed to work. Well, first of all, I'm glad that OP beat their cancer and got better. But the revelation that somebody was just dared to go spend time and build up this relationship with somebody who had cancer in the hospital and then just drops them after the prank is over is horrendous. And just for that alone, I think they probably deserved everything that happened. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now, if you want to hear another absolutely crazy revenge story, check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories.